You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible this morning. You'll find uh, stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can grab one now. You can grab one on your way out of worship today. That's our gift to you. No strings attached. And if you don't know your way around the Bible very well, I've put the passage that we're studying together on screen so you can follow along with us. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? If this strikes you as strange, this whole standing thing, good, because this is strange. We're about to do something very different. We're going to read from God's Word. And we stand to show that we're ready, we're eager to hear from Him. So listen carefully to these words from God through John, written long ago. 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love, His love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This week is the beginning of Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, which is the start of Holy Week, sometimes called Passion Week, depending on your church background or tradition. Holy Week is the final week in the life of Jesus and His earthly ministry leading up to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So it's right for us to say then that Holy Week is the most important week in the life of the most important person who ever lived. Holy Week, then, should not be a normal week for us. It should be a week of heightened awareness and gratefulness, awareness of our sin and thus of our need for a Savior, and a heightened gratefulness, gratefulness for all that Jesus has accomplished for us. So I hope you are planning to join us on Friday night for our Good Friday service and that you're planning to join us on Sunday, Easter Sunday, as we celebrate Jesus' victory over sin and death. Today on Palm Sunday, we're continuing in our study of John's letters. We've started with 1 John, and for a few months now we've been in 1 John, written by the Apostle John who walked with Jesus. And John tells us very clearly why he wrote this letter. In chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants believers to indeed know that we are believers. Can we, amid all of life's uncertainties, can we be certain about our spiritual condition? Can I know, can you know, that we are on the path of eternal life? John's answer is yes. You can have assurance. You can have Christian certainty. And throughout this letter, he gives us four tests that we can apply to ourselves so that we can be certain of our spiritual condition. 
The first test is the authority of the apostles' teaching. Do we affirm the earliest teaching, the eyewitness accounts? The second test is the identity of Jesus. What exactly do we believe about Jesus, his identity and his ministry? The third test is the reality of sin. How do we regard sin in our own hearts and lives? And then fourth, the necessity of love. Do we display the deepest or the highest form of love? Now today, in chapter 4, John is going to camp out on this fourth test. He's going to teach us about love. Ah, love. It's a ubiquitous subject in our society, isn't it? Everyone talks about what it means to love. The poets write about it. The singers sing about it. Filmmakers feature it. Greeting cards try to summarize it. Politicians try to establish the boundaries of it. John will teach us the truth about it. In the remainder of chapter 4, and harking back a bit to chapter 3, we're going to learn three things this morning. First, the inventor of love, where it all started. Second, the diagram of love, what it looks like, how it works. And third, the supply of love, how we get it and how we give it. So the inventor of love, the diagram of love, and the supply of love. Now, I must warn you, the first point will be controversial. So let's just jump right into it, shall we? Point number one, the inventor of love. Look at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is the second time in the letter that John has given us one of these God is statements. Back in chapter 1, he said God is light, and now he says God is love. He's teaching us something about what theologians call the attributes of God. God's attributes give us answers to the questions, what is God like? How should we expect God to act toward his creation, toward us? His attributes are the answers to those questions. Back in chapter 1, John said that God is light. Light is a metaphor for God's holiness, His purity, His moral excellence. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, not even a trace of evil. Therefore, God is to be trusted as the one and the only one who can tell us what is right and what is wrong, who can show us the path that will lead to not only our own flourishing, but the flourishing of all of His good creation. God is light. And now here in chapter 4, John adds a second God is statement, God is love. Meaning that God is the one who defines love. He adds in verse 7 that love is from God. So in other words, God is the inventor, the source, the inventor of love. See, if you want to know what true love is, you shouldn't look to William Shakespeare, Jane Austen, Nicholas Sparks. You should look to God because he's the inventor of it. He's the one who created love. He's the one who defines it. God is love. Now, let's take these two God is statements from the letter and place them side by side. 
And this is where we're going to get into the controversial part. So I'm going to ask for your undivided attention for the next few minutes. And here's why. What I'm about to say is probably going to offend some of you. But if you must be offended, I want you to be offended by what I've actually said. And not what you thought I said when you were only half listening. So hang with me. God is light. God is love. God is light. He is perfectly pure. He defines sin. God is love. He's the inventor of it. All of his activity is thoroughly loving. He defines sin's opposite, love. What God has defined as sin cannot be redefined as love. And what God has defined as love cannot be redefined as sin. Because God is the authority. Now, we live in a world that is working very hard. John has had much to say in this letter about the influence of the world. We live in a world that is working very hard to convince us that there is another authority. That the authority is not God and what he has defined and declared, but the authority, the world would tell us, is the way a person feels. Feelings, personal feelings, have become the authority of our day. Do you, do you see this? If my grandfather, when he was growing up, had gone to his doctor and said, I feel like a woman who is trapped in a man's body, the doctor almost certainly would have replied, we have a problem here, and this man needs to be treated in such a way that his thinking, his feeling, will be brought into alignment with his physical body. Today, however, if a young person goes to a doctor with the same sentiment, more than likely, that doctor will try to treat the patient in such a way as to bring the thinking or the feeling not in line with the physical body, as was the case with my grandfather, but now we're going to bring the physical body into alignment with the thinking and the feeling. Feeling has become the authority. And furthermore, love is defined as giving priority to those feelings. You with me? So the authority is the way a person feels. Love, then, is giving priority to those feelings, whatever they might be. We must see this for what it is. This is the world's attempt to normalize and popularize, popularize sin or evil, to take something that God has already defined and attempt to redefine it. God has already defined marriage. God has already defined gender. Male and female, He created us. God has already said no to other options. But listen to me, this is important. Anytime God says no, because he is both light and love, anytime he says no, it is always because he has a greater yes. Always. God is light. God is love. If we want to know what love is, 
What it truly is, we must look to God himself, not to what the world teaches us about what it means to love. Now, if everything I just said has upset you, if you find your, your feathers a bit ruffled, you're sort of getting ready to craft that email that you're going to send me, or perhaps you're even so upset that you're about to just walk out of the church. I hope that doesn't happen. I want to ask you to slow down and ask yourself this question. Why am I so upset? Why am I so upset? Could it be that the world has done its work on you? Could it be that the world has entangled you and entangled you thoroughly? See, truth will sound like hate when you've been conditioned to hate truth. I'll have much more to say on this subject in the fall. I hope you'll stay around until then. For now, though, we've got to move on. The second thing we're going to see in this passage, not only is God the inventor of love, but God also gives us the diagram of love. He shows us what love looks like. In the second part of the passage here, John is going to shift from this abstract concept, God is love, to concrete activity. God not only defines love, but he demonstrates it for us. He shows it to us. And here again, John will say that the primary demonstration of God's love is the sending of his son. He's going to say it not once, but twice here. He repeats it in verse 10. He says it once so that we'll hear it, and twice so that we'll hear it. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was made visible. You've seen it. You know God loves you because you've seen this. And what's the this? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He restates the point in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God because we were rebels. We rejected God's loving and life-giving authority. We were enemies of God. We didn't love him, but he loved us. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, this word propitiation is important. It's the second time that John has used this term in the letter. He used it back in chapter 2. But even if you were here when I preached through chapter 2, you probably don't remember what the word means because it's not a part of our standard vocabulary, propitiation. When was the last time you used that one on social media, right? We don't use this word much, so you've probably forgotten what it means. Let me unpack it afresh for you. It's incredibly important. The main idea is this. Believers... You have been saved by God from God. You have been saved by the grace of God from the wrath of God. See, God is light, remember? God is light. In Him there is no evil. In Him there is no toleration of evil. He is holy and just. He cannot look upon sin and rebellion that destroys his good creation. He cannot look upon that and just shrug it off like it never happened. He cannot treat evil as good. So the Bible teaches us about God's wrath, his rightful anger toward all the rebellion that wreaks havoc on his good creation. When John says that Jesus is the propitiation, he means that Jesus is the wrath catcher, the wrath quencher, the one who jumps in front of God the Father's wrath, absorbing it for us. 
the one who steps into our place and takes the punishment due to us because of our sin. Believers, this is the way God loves you. Enough to send his son for you. Unbelievers, receive this good news today. Place your faith in Jesus Christ, believing in him, who he is and what he came to do. And believers, rest in this. You are loved this way. You are loved. This is the diagram of love, what it truly looks like. So there's the inventor, God himself, the diagram, what love looks like. In closing, I want us to spend the lion's share of our time thinking about this one, the supply of love. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, if we've been loved this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. In us. Now notice the end of verse 12 here. Whose love is it? It's not mine and yours. It's not our love. His love, God's love, is perfected or made complete in us. John is teaching us here that when we become believers, we have access to God's own love. In his famous work on love, C.S. Lewis identifies and differentiates four types of love. He calls them affection, by which he means familial love, love within a family, friendship, eros, or romantic or erotic love, and then what he calls charity, or divine gift love. The first three loves, Lewis says, are natural loves, meaning that all of us experience these, believers and unbelievers alike. But the natural loves cannot deliver what they promise. They cannot function properly unless they are infused with this fourth type of love, which Lewis rightly says is a supernatural love. It's divine love, gift love. This is the love that God himself shows us in sending his son to die for us. God's love is not self-serving. It's self-giving. Think about the cross. Think about what God has done for us. He's not serving himself in that. Some of us need to get our thinking screwed on rightly on this point. God does not love you because of what you're going to give him. That's not how God's love works. He does not love you because he's going to get something from you. Now, that's good news. See how it is. If your usefulness is what makes you lovable, then what happens when you're no longer useful? Or what happens when someone more useful comes along? But we have no cause for anxiety here because that's not how God's love works. God is not self-serving. He's self-giving. He loves us out of his own plenteousness that desires to give. Here's the way Lewis puts it in his book, The Four Loves. He gives us a very vivid imagery. God, who needs nothing, God, who needs nothing, loves into existence wholly unnecessary creatures. That's us in order that he may love and perfect them. 
He creates the universe, already foreseeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up on the cross. If I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. God doesn't love you because you're useful and you're going to do something for him. He doesn't need anything from us. His love is not self-serving, it's self-giving for the good of others. That is what Lewis calls charity, divine gift love. Now see how this works. When all of our natural loves are infused with divine gift love, each of the natural loves becomes far better. Far better. When we don't have access to this divine gift love, these natural loves, they go haywire. And they cause destruction. Think about each one. Affection, familial love. John gave us an example of this going haywire back in chapter 3 by bringing up the story of Cain and Abel. Two brothers that we meet at the very beginning of the biblical story. Presumably, these boys grew up with affection, familial love, but as they grew older, Abel demonstrated a greater devotion to the Lord, and he was recognized for it. Cain craved that same recognition. And in a moment of violent jealousy, he killed his own brother. The natural love went haywire. Think about friendship. How many of us in this very room have people in our lives right now that we think of as enemies and once we thought of them as friends? What happened? Probably one of us hurt the other, and the other one now refuses to forgive. So we distance ourselves from them. We don't talk to them anymore. Both parties are behaving in self-serving ways. And what about eros? Romantic, erotic love. Marriage vows have been broken. The closest of human relationships broken because one spouse felt that the other spouse was not giving them the attention and the affection they deserved. Self-serving. But when the natural loves are infused with this divine gift love, see how they're transformed. Infused with divine gift love, affection is now free to celebrate the successes of my siblings. I can be grateful for what's happening in my brother or my sister's life. Because now I have access to God's love, and God's love is not self-serving, it's self-giving for the good of my family. Think about friendship. With access to this divine gift love infused with it, friendship is now free to forgive. Sure, you've been hurt. But now, with access to God's love, you don't want your friend to get what he or she deserves because you didn't get what you deserve. God didn't give you what you deserve. He 
gave you something far better, his grace. God's love is not self-serving, it's self-giving for the good of my friends. And then Eros, infused with this divine gift love, Eros, each spouse is now free to serve the other. God's love is not self-serving. It's self-giving for the good of my spouse. Believers, you have access to God's own love. That's what John is teaching us in this passage. But here's what I want you to see as we close. God has poured his own love into our hearts. But this divine gift love, it does not automatically come gushing out of us. It's not automatic. So the question in closing is this. If God pours his own love into our hearts, but it does not come gushing out automatically, how then do we access it? Is there a valve we turn so that this love comes flowing freely? Like, how does it work? Here's the better analogy, the one I will leave you with. I want you to picture a bucket and a water pump. The water pump, the supply, is God. The bucket, that's you and me. And the water, of course, represents God's gift, love. The longer you and I stay put right there at the source, camped out at that water pump, the more we will understand God's love, the more we will experience God's love, and in time we will be full and grateful for all that God has done for us. In time we will be full to the brim and even beyond. And God's love will come flowing out of us, just like that bucket that overflows, spilling all over the people in our lives. Loving them the way God has loved us. You have to stay at the source. And that means doing exactly what we're doing now. Worshiping together, spending time in God's word, spending time in communion with him. Then and only then will you be full and grateful for God's love, and that gratefulness will turn into generosity that you will show to others. Divine gift, love. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we do have access to this love that you have shown us. We ask for your help as we now seek to show this same love to others. God, we live in a world that is very confused and that works hard attempting to confuse us. Keep us committed to your word. Your word is truth. Keep us committed to the way you have defined sin and love. Forgive us for the times when we have strayed from your word. For those of us that have become entangled, the world has worked on us, that web of influencers and influences. God, I pray this morning that you would set us free, bringing us back to the truth. 
truth sounds like hate when we've been conditioned to hate truth. Free us from that this morning. For those of us whose natural loves are struggling in one way or another, a friend we need to forgive, a sibling for a long time we've been jealous of, a spouse we've hurt. The times we've been selfish, self-serving, forgive us. And God, thank you for the gift of your Son in whom we find forgiveness, new life, fresh start. We celebrate Jesus and all that he has done for us today. In his name we pray. Amen.